surreal. Surreal is the word of the day today. I spent time with Coca, a lot of time, talking about today's show. Today is September 11th, 2020. And I know that we've got listeners of all ages. And I am uh, 52, born in 1968. For me, 9-11 is a date that there's no other way to talk about or think about anything on this day other than what happened on 9-11. And I understand that for nothing personal, we're supposed to give you the trending stories, what's happening, tell you what's on my, in my mind, in my head. Well, today, what's on my mind and in my head is 9-11. And I want to talk about all aspects of 9-11 from a baseball standpoint, from my standpoint, what was going on, stories that really have not been told a lot. And if you're too young to remember 9-11, there are movies you can watch, there are books you can read. But it's the same as my grandparents telling me about the Second World War or about Vietnam where I was alive but too young to remember it. If you didn't live through it and have memories of it, it's hard to be brought back into that and it's hard to have interest. So the discussion was, is this a show that people want to hear? And the reason I think it is, is I want you to know what goes on when you run a team, when something happens that you can't possibly have ever been prepared for and what it means when you are in a position of leadership where you have to be unemotional and and you have to be all business in a day and in a time period that was surreal to the point that nothing will ever match that, God willing. And you know from nothing personal, we've talked about the day that Jose Fernandez died, the day that other horrible events have happened or the day that other memorable events have happened. But in my career, and frankly, in my life, there's never been a day like 9-11, 2001. It's been 19 years. Kids are already in college who were born after 9-11. Ancient history, some people may say, but believe me, it's not. That day started, let me set the stage for you, Tuesday. It was a Tuesday, September 11th was. Baseball, you know, has quarterly meetings. I was the executive vice president of the Montreal Expos. The Expos were playing in Florida, ironically. The hotel that we would stay at when we came to Florida was in Fort Lauderdale because back then the Marlins played at Pro Player Stadium where the Dolphins still play. And so instead of staying in Miami, teams would fly in and out of Fort Lauderdale and stay at Fort Lauderdale hotels. The most commonly stayed at team hotel back then was a Marriott on 17th, on the 17th Street Causeway. So if you go to, I don't know if it's Southeast 7th Street or Northeast 7th Street, after 18 years in Florida, I still haven't figured out what's SE versus NE versus SW versus NW. Haven't figured it out. But there's, there was a Marriott hotel there. That's where the team would stay. I was not with the team that day. I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on Tuesday morning, September 11, 2001, because the next day 
was going to be an owner's meeting. And as executive vice president of the Expos, I went to all owner's meetings. Jeffrey Loria was the owner of the Expos. He was not in Milwaukee yet. And I flew to Milwaukee a day early. Meetings start Wednesday and go Wednesday, Thursday, the 12th and 13th of September. So I went in a day early because I was going to, I had family there. And so I'm not a golfer. You know that. The last time I actually played golf was for Conine's 50th birthday in Scotland, however many years ago that was. Haven't played since. But that morning, I was, my plan was to play golf with my brother-in-law at the time. His name is Gary. And we were playing golf and it was early in the morning. And the reason why I was willing, needed to play early is I wasn't training for anything. I wasn't running at the time. And I was in between marathons and I just wanted to play and then go back to the Fister Hotel, which is where I was staying and just do work from the Fister Hotel, which is in downtown Milwaukee. Ownership meetings in Milwaukee take place at the commissioner's office in Milwaukee. Back then, Bud Selig was the commissioner. Bud Selig was the owner of the Brewers. Bud Selig lived in Milwaukee. He liked being in Milwaukee. He didn't like spending nights anywhere other than Milwaukee or his home in Arizona. And the meetings would take place. He had a great office. There was like an MLB office paid for and retrofitted and in Milwaukee on top of what used to be the first Wisconsin building became the first star building. I don't know what it's called now. It's maybe the U.S. Bank building is what it's called. It's, if you look at the Milwaukee skyline, it's the tallest white building. You can't miss it in the skyline. And right near the top floor is was where baseball offices were. But I was going to go to the Fister Hotel after golf and do some work and get ready for the meetings coming up the next day, knowing that the Expos, my team, they were playing the Marlins. So on Tuesday, we uh, were teeing off, and I'm not good at golf. I was just having fun, hanging out. It was a public course, and there were two of us. And I got a phone call, which is not out of the ordinary, and it was a phone call from one of the two best men at my wedding. His name is Jeff. And he called me and I picked up the phone, even though I was golfing. And I said, hey, what's up? I'm golfing. He said, do you see what's happening? I said, no, what's happening? And I didn't know whether he was calling about baseball or whatever he was calling about. He said, a plane flew into the World Trade Center. And I said, well, what does that mean? And I remember this conversation like it was yesterday. And he said, well, they're saying it was a private plane and, you know, just a, a pilot doesn't know, a suicide pilot or a pilot who just lost control of the plane, maybe had a heart attack, but it's a private plane, but it's crazy. You should check it out. And I said, yeah, whatever. I told Gary, I said, yeah, that not that amazing? Like a private plane flew into the World Trade Center and we were saying, God, that sucks. You know, I wonder, did it hit where in the building? Did anyone get hurt? Obviously, we assumed the pilot got hurt, but didn't think anything of it. About 15 minutes later, he called again. And I thought that he would be calling just to give an update and to say he got other information. Frankly, I thought he could be calling about something completely different. And he called and said that uh, a second plane just hit the World Trade Center. And I said that, that can't be. 
it can't be that that's obviously a mistake. You must be seeing video. They're replaying the video of the first plane of a plane that hit. And he said, no, I'm watching live right now. You've got to get to a TV, he said, because the second plane was definitely big enough that it was a commercial plane. And I said to Gary, I said, hey, if a commercial plane, there's no way, that's too big a coincidence that a commercial plane would have hit the World Trade Center after a private plane hit the World Trade Center. It can't be. And there's no way that my friend would mistake a private plane for a commercial plane. So therefore, if the second plane had been a commercial plane, that means the first plane was too. And I looked at Gary and I said, I don't know what we should do, except we can't be golfing right now. And he said, yeah, I guess let's go to the clubhouse. So we got in the cart and I didn't make any calls at that time. Instead, what I decided to do is get as much information as I could because I knew that our team was in Florida. I also knew that Jeffrey, the owner, was due to fly to Milwaukee that morning. But it didn't even occur to me that there was a terrorist attack. What occurred to me is I had to confirm that commercial planes were hitting the World Trade Center. So I went into the clubhouse and every TV in the clubhouse, it was live on all the morning news shows. And they kept showing it over and over again of what happened. And then they showed someone saying there's a chance the World Trade Centers could collapse. And my brain immediately shut off because I stopped thinking about what happened and immediately went into what's about to happen and what I need to do. First thing I did is called my wife who worked at a, uh, a school in New York City on the Upper West Side, couldn't reach her, could not get through. And I thought it was strange that cell phones were down because I couldn't reach anyone in New York. The second call I made was to our owner. And I said, uh, Jeffrey, are you watching what's happening? And he doesn't like, he's not up in the morning, but I knew he'd be up in this morning because he was flying to Milwaukee. And he was driving to meet Fred Wilpon, the owner of the Mets, and fly with Fred Wilpon from New York to Milwaukee. And Fred Wilpon would leave from Long Island, so he was driving from New York City to Long Island. I finally was able to reach him when I couldn't reach anyone else. And I said, uh, Jeffrey, stay tuned, but something's going on here. And he told me that he wasn't going to make the plane because they were stopping people from crossing the bridge. He would have to cross what is now called the RFK Bridge, what used to be called the Triborough Bridge. And he said, I got to call Fred. I'm not going to make the plane. I can't make him wait for me. And he was saying, I got to get a different plane. I got to figure out how to get some work. I said, Jeffrey, I'm, hold on, because if what's happening is what I think is happening, there aren't going to be any meetings because no one's going to be traveling. My next call was to the commissioner's office. Because I was in Milwaukee. I was one of the few people from a team who was in Milwaukee early. 
I called the commissioner's office and I said, and Rob was there, Rob Manford, the current commissioner, who was then head of labor. Bud Selig was there, as well as the president of baseball. And I called and I said, uh, are you guys watching this? And they said, yeah. I said, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? Uh, I'm, coming, I'm coming into the office. I didn't know what to do other than my first instinct was, you've got to go and be with people because decisions are going to have to be made. And I'm responsible for a baseball team and we're responsible for an industry. And there's a chance that we are all under attack. You have to remember the way that morning worked is that planes hit the World Trade Center. The next thing we knew, a plane was being flown into the Pentagon. And the next thing we knew is that a plane was, had been hijacked and was flying in the air. And there was a question, are they going to shoot the plane down? That ended up being United Flight 93 that was brought down by its passengers who stormed the cockpit and forced that plane to the ground in a field, killing just themselves and nobody on the ground. All of these things are going on at once where you're wondering, what's next? What city's next? Are we safe in Milwaukee? Is New York about to be bombed? There were fighter jets in the air in New York. I remember being told that. In any case, I remember getting into the car, went to the Fister, quickly showered with the TV on, and then walked the three blocks. And it was a surreal walk in downtown Milwaukee, which is relatively sleepy mostly, but it was, it was like a ghost town. There was no one on the street. And I walked the three blocks down Wisconsin Avenue into the commissioner's office and sat in the office with Bud Selig and Rob Manford. And we were watching and the World Trade Center's collapsed. And the first decision that had to be made, believe it or not, if you can imagine this, was that night's games. So we had an order of decisions and we were all collaborating. And I had only been in the game a year. I was 33 years old. Looking back, I was very young. But I was in the room And all these decisions were being made. We were talking through everything that we had to do. First decision, we cancel that night's games. We get in touch with every single team and say, tonight's games are canceled. Stay in your home if you're at home. Stay in your hotel if you're on the road. I called Jim Beatty. I could not reach Jim Beatty. Jim Beatty was in Florida with the team. He was the GM at the time. He was golfing. No problem. Normal. Reached Larry Beinfest, who was the assistant GM, and he was in Montreal, not with the team. Called PJ Loyello, the head of communications, and said, listen, there's no game. Get everybody together in the hotel and make sure we have an accounting of every player. Then in Milwaukee... The next issue we had is owners were beginning to fly into Milwaukee for the owners' meetings, including Jeffrey and Fred Wilpon. Fred Wilpon was always nice enough to fly. Members of the Yankees, Randy Levine, would fly with Fred Wilpon. 
Jeffrey Loria would fly, Fred Wilpon, I'd have a chance to fly. Fred Wilpon would fly members of the commissioner's office. Very gracious, always. The next decision had to be made, what are we doing about the owner's meeting? We don't think that owners should be picking up and flying to Milwaukee right now. There was so much uncertainty about what was happening, but the decision was made very, very quickly to postpone games that night, then to cancel the owners' meetings. So then every owner was called and a memo was sent out that owners' meetings would be canceled. We then kept sitting down in the commissioner's office to talk about what's next. When do we restart? How long do we not play for? What do we do once we do restart? What do we do for security purposes? How do we guarantee that the New York teams will be safe? Will the New York teams be allowed to play again this season? Remember, this was the September 11th play. This is the pennant stretch, the stretch drive of the season. Will the Yankees and Mets have to be on the road? How do we play these games again? It's not like COVID where you just play seven inning double headers. What do we do with these games? Back then, it was unheard of to have 15 games postponed. Today, that's just a Wednesday. It was decided very early on that we were going to seek help from the government to get an understanding through our government relations department what was going on and when it was going to be appropriate to play. You recall that people say that sports is what's used to heal. People are saying that around COVID, and I told you that I disagreed with that. We were in touch with, let me, let me just explain to you. Let me go back in case there's confusion. I think I've mentioned on Nothing Personal that we have people in Washington, baseball does, called government relations employees. It's a whole department made up of people whose job is to be in touch with people on both sides of the aisle in order to further the interests of our industry. They're like lobbyists, meaning they speak to Democrats, they speak to Republicans, they support Democrats and Republicans as owners. We all support Democrats and Republicans as presidents of teams. It is our job to make sure that we are being supportive in every way, including financially, because when it comes time that baseball needs something as an industry or teams need something, that we've got the relationships. It's also a way to get in touch immediately with congressmen, senators, the president. There's no way we were going to get to speak to George Bush. But we knew we'd have an opportunity to speak to other people in Washington to get an idea of what, remember, there was a big connection between George Bush and baseball. He used to be an owner of the Texas Rangers before he was president. So we had a great relationship with him. George Bush was the president and when we were at the White House in 03 after winning the World Series. Just a very good relationship with him. But there's no way we're going to reach him to talk about what to do. So we decided that we were going to postpone games for three days, a series, and we'd start again Friday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, games postponed, and they would be made up not as part of double headers. Teams would go back to where they were on 9-11 and play those games after the season. We had a discussion. Do we only play the games that are necessary for playoff seating? Quickly, we decided all games would have to be played because that is revenue for home teams. There was then a decision made that a full week was going to be taken off. 
So if you recall, games were canceled in baseball Tuesday, 9-11 through Sunday, and the first game back was Monday the 17th. It was then decided because there was a week missed that the only solution was to move that exact week of games to the week after the season. So every game that was going to be scheduled from Tuesday to Sunday got played from Monday to Saturday following the season ending on a Sunday, if my dates are right. But just take six days missed or five days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, six days missed and move them to the end of the season. All right, good decision, done. Now, how do we get teams back to where they belong and getting ready for starting play? Because right after 9-11, we had not decided to miss six days. We had only decided there was going to be one night missed. And then it became three, then it became six. So my job, I called up the team and said, hey, listen, there's no planes. They are shutting down airspace. And we were told on Tuesday that airspace was going to be shut down indefinitely. They didn't know whether it would be a day, two days, a week, or a month. They didn't know. We tried to get an exception for charters so we could get teams back to their homes, all teams on the road, so the Marlins could have gotten on a plane and gotten into Canada and gone home to Montreal. But we did not get an exception. The skies were empty. We spent the rest of Tuesday in disbelief going through what had gone on, but not really talking about the ramifications of what we had witnessed going through the logistics of postponing the games, figuring out how to get in touch with owners and teams and scheduling stuff. Bud then walked into the conference room and said, listen, we're going to have a dinner tonight because we got to keep talking. Let's stay together. And Bud's favorite restaurant was a restaurant called Gibson's. Gibson's is a steakhouse. Do I have that name wrong, Coca? Was there a Gibson Steakhouse in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? I really think there is. It was his favorite restaurant. But there, and we went there Tuesday night, and they gave us a private room. Because Bud is, is the commissioner of Milwaukee. He's obviously a celebrity. But we got a private room, and we asked for there to be a TV put in the room. So it was all the top executives of MLB and me because I was there early because I had family there. And you remember my relationship with Bud. I had known him since I was a kid because I had known him as owner of the Brewers. So a TV was brought into the room. And so Gibson's is in Chicago. What is the name of the steak restaurant in Milwaukee? And I don't know that it's still there. It's in downtown Milwaukee. It's just west of the Fister Hotel, right on the river. I'm completely blanking, which is really unbelievable, Coca. In any case, they brought a TV in. We were sitting at dinner. And the reason a TV was brought in is that George Bush addressed the country on Tuesday night. In the most memorable presidential address I'd ever been a part of to that moment in my life and even today more so than when Obama announced the death of, uh, of Ben Laden, more so than any other presidential address. He took to the microphone and basically told us that we will survive, that we are going to find out who did this and we are going to fight them and crush them. 
that the world changed today. And that was a very heavy thing to think about. That from that day on, 9-11-01, there's a pre-9-11-01 and a post-9-11-01. There is nothing that marks time in my life like that day, pre and post. So we listened to George Bush talk, and we were continuing to talk about what to do the next day. There were no flights. No one could leave. I wanted to get back to New York to my family. I wanted to get back to Montreal to be with the team. I didn't want to stay in Milwaukee, but I could not get out. Finally, I decided that I was going to rent a car and drive from Milwaukee to New York. I had done it before I went to school in Wisconsin. I didn't think it was a big deal. I then got word during the course of Tuesday that all of our players were accounted for except for Lee Stevens. Lee Stevens was our first baseman with the Montreal Expos. And it turns out that Lee Stevens had taken an off day and flew to visit family, friends, somebody in the Chicago area. And I didn't know that. I was able to track down, we were able to track down Lee Stevens. We had our traveling secretary try to track down everybody. Everybody was told to stay in the Marriott Hotel in Florida, our whole Expos team. No idea when they'd get to fly out, but I needed to get east. So I rented a car and I found a car, believe it or not, at a rental place in downtown Milwaukee. And I called Lee Stevens and I said, Lee, you got to get back with the team. What's your plan? He said, I'm stuck. I can't fly. I said, Lee, I'm driving back east. Do you want to drive with me? And Lee said, of course. So I got in the car on Thursday and I drove to Chicago and picked up Lee Stevens at a rest stop. He got in the car. We knew each other. We were not, we, we were president player. I liked him on the field. I liked him off the field, but we had never obviously done a road trip together. We had never spent significant time together. We then drove and we kept looking in the sky at the empty sky and we kept driving to different airports. We stopped at O'Hare. Any planes today? Kept calling the travel agent. We then made it to Detroit. Can we fly out of Detroit? We spent the night. Lee Stevens and I ended up on a road trip. We got back. We crossed the George Washington Bridge where I was going to drop him in a car that was going to drive him to Montreal while I stayed in New York City. Lee Stevens and I drove across the George Washington Bridge. And it's a, it's a moment I will never forget because when you drive across the George Washington Bridge on a clear day, you can see the World Trade Centers and they were gone. And I remember thinking to myself, what was going to be life in the city and what role would sports play? Is it even going to happen? And it was so important back then to take our role and make sure that we were respectful of what had happened, but that we made it clear that we were not going to let terrorists stop us from living our lives. And that whatever we had to do, baseball was coming back. And I remember clear as day when we got permission for the games to restart and that there would be a game in New York City, 
that the Mets would host. And I remember the concern that the Mets had, that all teams had about going back into a ballpark, the concerns about what could be coming next, the reality of visiting teams going to play in New York worried for their safety, their families worried for their safety. As I think back to all the decisions that were made that day from an industry standpoint and from my personal standpoint, I think about one of the things that I could definitely do differently. I do that a lot, right? When you are in a position where you lead an organization, you have no choice but to do self-evaluation. And the reason I feel that is there's too many people who are not going to give it to you straight. And they'll tell you, hey, that was good. Hey, way to go. Hey, that decision worked out. Because they think it'll help their career or they don't want to second guess someone in a position of authority. But if you're really good at self-reflection and you are honest about what you are good at and bad at, what you do right and what you do wrong, and you evaluate the decisions you make standing outside yourself. Here's an example of what I do. And this sounds surreal. I literally step outside my body and I watch myself executing on decisions that I had made. And then as I'm watching myself execute these decisions, I evaluate those decisions and think about what could have gone better for me, knowing the result of my decisions. On 9-11, I feel as though I got the order wrong. I tried to reach the family, tried to make sure my daughter was in school, tried to make sure there was figuring out what was, how the kids were being picked up, two kids at the time, knowing that my wife worked at a school. It didn't even occur to me that there was a chance that there were kids in school in New York City whose parents worked at the World Trade Center. It didn't even occur to me that all of the people who I knew in New York, because that had been my home from 1974 to 2002, I still lived in New York. I had a place in Montreal, but I commuted quite a bit. It didn't occur to me to ask What's happening in the city? Because I was in Milwaukee. I was so focused on my own little area of baseball. So focused on the, on the expos and how to figure out what to do with the players, how to get in touch with the owner, how to get in touch with the commissioner. My first reaction to 9-11 was about me and what I needed to do. And I'd only been in the game at that time. It was September of 11 for under two years. I hadn't developed into the executive that I eventually became. And while I always have taken a position that I do things without emotion and that I'm the one you come to to solve problems and take care of all logistics, there are certain times in life where if you're going to play that role, you can do it, but you can't be obvious about it. Meaning you've got to let people know that there are going to be times when you're not going to be a robot. 
that you're going to, and I'm not saying that you have to show false emotion. What I'm saying is that you have to show proper priority. I never even asked my wife about the kids in her school, some of whom lost parents that day. I didn't ask any of my friends who were on Wall Street. I didn't think, who is this impacting directly? I was too busy worrying about how it impacted me. That level of selfishness, while it may lead to positive results, either financially or logistically, was a level of selfishness that did not make me feel good. Other times being selfish is fine and it makes me feel fine. But at that moment, I was wrong and I didn't think about it till I reflected after the fact. If I could do one thing differently on 9-11, I would have made sure that baseball was not number one. And I didn't. I always thought of baseball as this serious vocation and an avocation. I thought of baseball as the center of the universe. We were the sun around whom all sports and all other businesses and anyone else revolved around. Everyone wanted to be me and do what I did and be in my shoes. And I took great pride in having those shoes. I think back on it now and I realize that those shoes are pretty much one size fits all. I did nothing spectacular to deserve to be the president of a team or to take care of things or to be in the middle of things on 9-11. It was just dumb luck and dumb circumstance. I certainly took advantage of the opportunity that I was given. But there's some times when more important things are happening and not understanding the weight of 9-11, I look back and cannot figure out how I could have missed it that much. It became pretty clear a month later when we played the Mets in rescheduled games, and we were in the park the day that the first push into Iraq, it was the start of the Iraqi war as I, as I recall, and we were watching on a little tiny crappy TV in Shea Stadium, or in, in, in Shea Stadium back then it was, outside the clubhouse with the security guard. And I was asking the security guard that day, I think it was someday in October, because the season was lengthened, as I said. I said, are we safe here? I felt so unsafe and I felt so guilty to feel unsafe because I hadn't risked my life in 9-11. I wasn't a first responder. All I was was a team executive in baseball. And I counted on other people to make me safe at a time when before 9-11, it never even would occur. Before 9-11, I would fly back and forth from Montreal to New York, get to the airport 15 minutes before I'd spend time in the cockpit with Air Canada pilots, all of whom I knew I'm flying back and forth all the time. They wanted updates on the expos, talk about baseball. All of a sudden, the cockpits were closed. Nobody's flying. I just felt small. One of my big memories of 9-11 is feeling so small and so out of control, which is really hard when you're a control person. 
when you're always in control. And I think about 19 years later, that hasn't changed. I'm a complete control type A person. I've never felt more out of control than I did on 9-11 and its aftermath. When you think about what our role is as a sports team, an industry, it's so easy to get swept away in self-importance. But on the other hand, so many millions of people use sports as their escape. And escape is what was needed after 9-11. It's so different than it is now where COVID is causing people to be apart and quarantined. And what people are craving is physical contact. They're craving seeing their relatives, hugging their relatives, their friends, something as simple as a dinner or a walk, longing for normalcy. After 9-11, it was actually quite different. There was no virus. There was comfort in groups and in numbers. All anyone wanted to do was not be alone. Families wanted to be together. Friends wanted to be together. Teammates wanted to be together. Fans wanted something to do other than think about the reality that we were at war or that terrorism could hit so close to home or that it was possible to be on an airplane and have that plane be flown into the World Trade Center, that it was possible that a building like the World Trade Center, the most iconic building, I'm sorry, Empire State Building, I'm sorry, Sears Tower, the World Trade Center was the single most iconic building in the entire United States, hard stop, period. Is it possible that that building could fall? Let's talk about it together. Let's heal together. We needed that moment of love. And we were just cocky enough in baseball to believe that we could be a part of that. After the fact, I can say we were. Mike Piazza's home run is the second or third most memorable home run that I ever recall seeing in baseball, in my mind. I've never rooted for the Mets, because I've always been in the National League East, I believe, and Coca, I may be wrong. I believe the Mets played the Braves when Mike Piazza hit that home run. I never liked it when the NL East would play each other because someone had a win. On the other hand, glass half full, someone had a lose. But I remember that day, clear as day, rooting for the Mets, and Mike Piazza hits that home run, and it was as though time stood still. It was as though for that moment, Everything was okay and that the future was going to be fine. We didn't know back then. This is 19 years ago only. We didn't know what the future was. You want to talk about today? It's the same thing, but it's not terrorism. We don't know what the future is. I'm scared. It's okay to be scared. Are we always going to be wearing masks? Will we ever get to hug each other again? Will we ever go to bars or restaurants? Will we ever feel comfortable going to concerts or stadiums? Being in large groups. What will be with the economy? What will be with the election? There's so much uncertainty right now. People are scared. The feeling after 9-11 
was a fear that not only was life different as we knew it, but even worse. Life would never, ever return because in the back of everyone's head, there would always be the possibility of another terrorist attack. How do you eliminate terrorism? You can stand up like politicians did and say, we are gonna, we're going to fight them, we're going to get them, we're going to kill them. You kill one, four grow. It was like living in Homeland, the series. Baseball for us was always three hours a day that we could give to our fans. For us, we treated it as a 24-hour-a-day job, but for three hours, we've got you. I feel as though during COVID, sports is not doing that because it's different. It can't do that. How can sports be used to heal something where people are not understanding what the scab or the hurt is? There is such divisiveness over COVID, over what's going on. Back in the days of 9-11 and the days following, there was no divisiveness. Everyone was very clear that safety of our nation and of our people was the primary number one, number two, and number three issue. Everyone looking out for each other. When you see something, you say something. A lot has been written about, a lot has been spoken about 9-11. A lot of movies, a lot of books. I would ask you not to forget about it because there are people right now who are in their 20s and 30s whose parents passed away in 9-11. There's people whose lives were impacted and will never be the same, no matter how much they try. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400 or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. One of the movies about 9-11 that I would like you to see is called World Trade Center. World Trade Center is directed by Oliver Stone and starring Nicolas Cage. I think it came out in, oh, I'm going to say in the 08 range. And it's about two Port Authority cops 
and what happened the day of 9-11 and after 9-11 when they were trapped in the rubble. I don't know if I can properly explain to you what went on in the days after with the smoky rubble. Uh, thank you, Coco. It's 2006 for World Trade Center. The reality is that the smoke and, and, and eeriness of the World Trade Center in rubble, both towers, didn't last a day or a week. It was months. Years. It's still there in my mind when I go there to the World Trade Center, to the museum. If you've not been to the museum, you should go. It is the hardest, second hardest museum behind the Holocaust Museum I've ever been to. Most difficult to go through. This movie does a really interesting job on a subject that is very close to home, but also speaks to people who are in different parts of the country who may have different memories of 9-11, or speaks to younger people who may not even remember 9-11, or to people who weren't born. It gives you an idea of the horror that was that day. It's called World Trade Center from 2006 with Nicolas Cage. Do a favor for people who gave up their lives for others. You want to talk about being on the front line or fighting for your country or fighting for your right to vote, fighting for equality. The people who went into the burning Twin Towers to save those who were in their offices to help evacuate as many people as possible and then got caught in a crushed, falling building. Just think about them when you're watching the movie and be thankful for the opportunities that we all have because people are so selfless. Today is September 11, 2020, and I made a promise that day that I will not break. I will always remember 9-11 and the decisions that were made and the people who sacrificed everything so that I was able to live the most free life of anyone I know. Thank you.